everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things Black History and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 56 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and I am your host today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to yet another episode. Now, last week I talked about Barbados um, and the fact that they had newly become a republic and what that means for Barbados, for other countries in the Caribbean, um, and just for kind of the current order of the world, shall we say, in relation to British imperialism and the Queen, the Crown, the monarchy and all that jazz. Um, now, I didn't want to make that episode last week. Well, I did. I really enjoyed learning about um, Barbados and doing the research and then obviously sharing it. But my plan was actually to look at some Christmas traditions in the Caribbean and share them with you. Because I don't know if you remember a few months back, I did an episode on ackee and saltfish, which is a Jamaican dish, typically eaten at breakfast, lunch, dinner, in a patty, in bread, on rice, with plantain, however you want. But also for breakfast on Christmas Day. Um, And I thought I would actually, over this Christmas period, just to kind of move away from the really racially charged, sad episodes that we've had in the past because of, like, looking at race relations and violence um, and black people within Britain. That's the kind of narrative we always hear. So I thought I'd, you know, it's Christmas time. I know the world isn't in the best place, but you all maybe have a happier place here. Um, And think about some Christmas traditions around the Caribbean that may or may not be adopted by these people um, as they migrate to Britain. Um, And today, as you know from the title, we're thinking about pepper pots. Um, And in particular, I'm thinking about Guyanese pepper pots. I've never had pepper pots. But once I started researching different Christmas foods and traditions and I stumbled upon pepper pots, first of all, I don't even eat like red meat, but my mouth was watering thinking about it um one day I might try it um but even if I don't I just thought this just sounds delicious and it reminded me of so many other foods within West African cooking Caribbean cooking um the southern states of America some of the foods they eat like gumbo and that kind of thing and I thought oh I can kind of envision what this tastes like um and I want to talk about it and I really want to talk about it especially because it links really interestingly with America um, even though it's a Guyanese dish and I really just wanted to kind of tie in all these links um, and link this food back to the movement of people um, from West Africa to the Caribbean around the Southern American states through unfortunately slavery, transatlantic slavery um, but also in the in the aftermath of that and, and how these foods have travelled um, and created long-lasting really important traditions for people around the world and before I go into that I really wanted to I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before I've definitely tweeted about it there's a food documentary on Netflix called high off the hog and honestly it's the best thing I've watched in a really really long time um it's about like tying in um southern american food kind of greats the staples of the diet into um countries in africa and the kind of origins of these foods especially west africa um and it it really does travel that documentary I don't know where that budget came from but they're all over different parts of Africa different parts of America looking at the ways in which these foods have traveled and what they now mean to different groups of people in these regions and it was just fascinating it made me absolutely starving when I was watching it like I had to eat like throughout it I had to just snack because it was making me so so hungry but it was so interesting and a little step away from Caribbean and black British history but 
fascinating all the same. So that's just a plug for that. It's been on Netflix a while. It's not new, but it is sensational. So Guyanese pepper pot. You might be thinking, well, where is Guyana? I obviously speak a lot about the Caribbean here and Guyana is often like classed as a being in the Caribbean, but it's not a Caribbean island in the sense of it's not part of the like Greater Antilles, the Lesser Antilles. It's actually part of the like countries, the block of countries that we would call South America. Um, it's in that mainland of South America, the capital city being Georgetown. Um, it's bordered by the Atlantic Ocean on the north, the Brazil, Brazil, the Brazil, Brazil um, to the south and southwest, um, and Venezuela to the west, and Suriname to the east. And Guyana is a really small area within South America. Um, I think it's like the third smallest kind of country land block um, in that big block of land in South America. And I think I won't go into the history too deeply. I know I probably should, but I don't want this episode to be too long because we are thinking about the food traditions. Um, however, I will say that the ethnic groups um, really give you insight into the kind of landscape of Guyana and the potential mix of cultures and peoples and histories. Um, now, this is from Wikipedia, I'll be very honest with you, and it's the ethnic groups from 2020-12. The little footnote is telling me it's from the Bureau of Statistics, Guyana, um, retrieved August 2018. So these are statistics from 2012 um, taken from the Bureau of Statistics, but referenced on Wiki. Um, just for context, so 39.8% Indian, 29.3% African, 19.9% multiracial and 10.5% indigenous. And then in the really kind of small numbers, 0.3% European and 0.2% Chinese. And then the kind of religious mix is Christianity, Hinduism um, being the most, then Islam and then atheism and then a few other religions that make up about 2% of the other religions. So as you can see, got a lot of different kinds of people ethnically. Um, mixing together in this country and the Indian population is the highest. Um, I think because Guyana isn't an island in the same way that Trinidad or Barbados or Jamaica is, the history does vary. Guyana was actually colonised first by the Dutch um, and then the kind of British <laughs> came along and assumed control later on. Um, but the Dutch didn't like cede the area or kind of relinquish their um rule or their reign or their kind of clutches on the on the country um properly until 1814 um and so they're kind of like a separate part of Guyana that's Brit no, that was known as British Guyana um and then eventually that all kind of gains independence and becomes Guyana spelled G U I A N A I never know if it's Guyana or Guyana so you might get both and I'm sorry if that is incorrect, whichever one is incorrect. But I have heard both, and I don't know which is right and wrong. So, Guyana, Guyana. But I do know British Guyana, Guyana, um, was what it was formerly called um, before independence in 1966. And then they became a republic very quickly after 1970, um, but remained a member of the Commonwealth. Um, so, essentially, doing what? Barbados did um but in 1970 um so just to bring that back into to conversation you know this was not uncommon for 
um, those colonised by the British to become a republic. Let's just say that. Okay, and now time for the main event, the main course, the pepper pot soup. Um, so, unique foods at Christmas um, in Guyana. I think I'm going to go with Guyana. You know what I'm thinking about now? I'm thinking about Desmond's. Um, if anybody hasn't watched Desmond's, then you need to go and watch Desmond's, all the seasons of Desmond's. I have two episodes left at this point. Um, it's a show featuring Carmen Monroe, Norman Beaton, uh, Ram John Holder. Ram John Holder, for anyone that is of my generation, was Crash's granddad in Tracy Beaker. <laughs> Um, but anyway, this is from the 80s, directed by Trix Worrell. It was on Channel 4, um, and it was about Desmond, who had a barbershop in Peckham, and it was all about the adventures of that would happen in his barbershop. And the family, him and his wife, played by Carmen Monroe, uh, were from Guyana, and he used to say Guyana. I can hear it. I can hear him saying it. Um, and the whole kind of premise of the show was that they'd moved over, part of the Windrush generation, and they re- he really wanted to go back, actually. Right now, Shirley, she doesn't want to go back. Um, they're arguing about it actually in the episode I've just watched Um, not to spoil it but um, yeah so that family was from Guyana and their experience was so similar in ways to that of say people that came from Jamaica, Trinidad, Bahamas, Barbados, wherever else however the interesting thing I know was that they're always like um, assumed to be Jamaican just because there's a big 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 ignorant population of British people that just assume all black people come from Jamaica even if they're from you know a country in Africa and they've got an African accent um they just say oh you're Jamaican um so yeah that was a tangent but Guyana it's in my mind um and that shows another show that you need to watch it's on um Netflix and I think 4OD have it now it came back during like Black History Month or when everybody was woke in 2020 and, you know, everybody was black this, black that, yay. Um, So it was on Channel 4 then. I don't know if it's still there now, but it's definitely on Netflix. Really, really good watch. Um, It ran from the late 80s to the early 90s. So you get kind of all the cultural references from that as well. The fashions, um, the jokes. It is, yeah, it's truly, truly great. I'm saying that and some of you have probably grown up on it. I'm sorry. Sorry to, to do this, like you know, feel like Christopher Columbus discovering things that have already been discovered, but truly, truly, I was blown away when I first watched it last year when it went back on 4OD. Anyway, back to the pepper pot. Pepper pot is a dish derived from indigenous peoples uh, in the Caribbean, South American regions, popular in Guyana, traditionally served at Christmas, eaten with bread in the morning. It's a stewed meat dish um, and it has very strong flavours and we're going to get into the flavours in a minute because the flavours is, is the important part of this whole episode and story. Pepper pot is traditionally and normally made with beef. However, um, pork can be substituted or mutton um, and they're the kind of most popular meats. Um, some have been known to use chicken and then when I was looking at recipes for it, I found a vegetarian one as well. I'm not really sure how much that would bang but um you know in terms of inclusive dining then you know let's go with the vegetarian pepper pot and also it is about the seasoning so I don't really know how um Guyanese people will feel about me just advocating for vegetarian pepper pot when it's actually all about the meat but the seasonings um and the special sauce that comes from one particular root vegetable slash root plant thing um is very important So, the history of pepper pot in Guyana. 
Now, as I've mentioned, it has its beginnings as a dish with the indigenous people of the land that eventually became Guyana um, when it was carved up by the colonisers, as most places on this planet were. So, there is a root called cassava root, um, and it's poisonous, poisonous bitter cassava root. And different groups, uh, different indigenous groups of people separately discovered the amazing properties of the liquid extracts of this poisonous bitter cassava root um, and the kind of preservative properties, especially um, different groups of people discovered the liquid, which is called kada or kadakura sauce. Um, and the sauce is used to make a dish known as tuma pot in Guyana as well, um, but also the Arawaks are said to have discovered the liquid called kasarip, which we now call kasarip. I don't think we called it that before. By we, I mean the indigenous people and not me. Um, kasarip is actually so important to pepper pot. It's like the main ingredient. It's like making it's like making curry, curry goat without curry powder, essentially. Um, there are two varieties of the cassava root, sweet and then the one we mentioned before, the bitter one. Um, because it's made from the bitter cassava root. So originally the Arawaks discarded that liquid um, that was extracted from the grated cassava. Cassava's like, it's kind of like yam. And if you don't know what yam is, yam is kind of like an extra tough potato, in my mind anyway. Um, but cassava is used, um, It's in West Africa it tends to be pounded in like the Caribbean, say Jamaica, what do we use cassava for? Um, bami. A food called bami. If you don't know what that is, give it a Google. Fantastic for breakfast with yaki and saltfish. But in this case with the Arawaks, they extracted um, liquid from the grated cassava um, that they were using to make cassava flour. And eventually it was found that this dark brown liquid um, that resulted from the liquid being left in the sun was a natural preservative. I find it so fascinating how like um, indigenous peoples, they you think they didn't have the science and the know-how to do all these preserving, cooking, curing, helping, healing things, but they did. And it's always really cool to me what they did and how they figured that out. And always wonder, like, you know, what were the bad attempts? What did they look like? You know, <laughs> what happened when it didn't go quite right and the preserving thing didn't preserve or the healing thing didn't heal? Anyway, my mind. So this substance was really useful. The Arawaks knew this. Um... And the stage was set and ready for a dish that becomes pepper pot. So now today, casa reap is obviously not made in the same way as the indigenous people did it by hand necessarily. There are, you know, machines, technologies, processes um, that are used to, to do this. So the bit of cassava is harvested and grated and then placed in something called a matapi. Um, and the liquid is collected in a pail. Um, and it takes a lot of this bitter cassava grated um and then like strained to get this liquid because cassava is really dry there's no like liquid and that's why i kind of said yams like a tough potato um potatoes have liquid in that's why you can kind of make mashed potato quite easily but when you pound yam like that's a workout and you're still you know, it's, you still have to add things to it to make it liquidy, if I'm not mistaken. Whereas a potato, you can kind of mash that because it's got higher water content. Now, cassava has got even lower water content than yam. Um, so the amount that you're having to get, the amount of cassava you're having to use to get this liquid from it um, is a lot. So it, it would have been a very labour-intensive process for the indigenous people 
obviously now with the help of machinery a lot easier but each pail roughly produces like one single bottle of cassarie apparently um because the liquid has to settle and then it's strained and then it's boiled now boiling is the important part um and it's important because the bitter cassava root liquid that comes out actually contains a poisonous acetone called cyanohydrin i hope i've said that right poisonous acetone called cyanohydrin and it becomes highly toxic hydrogen cyanide on contact with water however for all the chemists hydrogen cyanide is quite volatile and it evaporates really quickly when it's heated so you don't actually have to boil it for very long because it's so volatile it it evaporates out um, and then you're left with something that isn't poisonous thank goodness but again when i'm thinking about the indigenous people i'm thinking how did they figure that out how did they learn how many attempts did it take before they got there um i'm yeah i wish i was a fly on the wall Anyway, so you have to boil a lot of the liquid to create the casserip, um, and the boiling can be done on an open fire. Um, and I think it is said that it kind of needs a steady boiling temperature, um, which means it can take a few hours. Um, and then the consistency has a kind of really thick syrupy molasses kind of consistency um but a sweet flavor and then you can add different spices like cloves salt cinnamon um to enhance the flavor of the casserie depending um now that's the kind of process just to get this syrupy liquid to then go and make your pepper pot so obviously you don't have to do all that you can go to the shop and buy it But I'm just kind of elaborating and really letting you know how much labour goes into this dish, this pepper pot, um, and how kind of important these processes are. um, And how important they would have been to the indigenous people that were first doing them, uh, which I find very, very interesting. So in my research about Kassarip, I found an article and it's talking about um, the kind of spike in demand for cassarip at Christmas because obviously everyone's making their pepper pot. Um, and some people actually manufacture it themselves. Um, and I guess, you know, thinking about all the technologies and things that they might need and machinery, actually it's still in some parts being done by just human hands um, and the kind of knowledge and know-how that has been passed down or that they have. Um, and there are quite a few small traders that then take the cassarip that they've made for, to market um, because you can obviously grow cassava as a root um, very easily throughout the year and then you're just essentially grating it, straining it, which is a process I think would need the most machinery and I'm quite curious to see how you would do that kind of within your own little manufacturing process um, and then boiling it, um, which we've said, although it's an important, in very, very, very important part, it doesn't take too much to kind of have that um, poisonous chemical um, evaporate off the top. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see that some people to kind of aid the demand for Kasserip during Christmas all get involved and enterprise and, and create this this product. OK, and then the actual making of the dish, the pepper pot in this article, it says it depends on the chef, which I'm not surprised at. Every dish, no matter how popular or how important it is, is going to vary family to family, chef to chef. Um, so some people boil the meat with the cassarip and then they add the water to make the stew. Some people add 
the kasarip and the water after the meat has boiled. Um, and then this like choose the chosen spices are added. Um, original pepper pot would have included wild meat, obviously. It was indigenous people making it. Um, and sometimes it still does in different parts of Guyana. However, this article is telling me that it's generally agreed that beef is the meat. But other meats or non-meats are acceptable. Um, chunks of beef, bones included, sometimes oxtail, cow heel are to be used. However, and to be honest, most of the ones I've seen, pictures I've seen of pepper pot, look to me like oxtail, like Jamaican oxtail with like, you can see a bone um, and meat falling off the bone quite softly and gently and lovely. Um, however, tofu apparently can work. So vegans you got something um and yeah anybody that knows me loves i love tofu so but i literally read that tofu can be used and had to come back to this podcast to explain to you guys that we can have tofu pepper pot tofu um so yeah and i've seen obviously recipes with vegetables too so very inclusive dish and also it's eaten with bread that's a common consensus and cassava bread something that sometimes accompanies pepper pot or a store-bought bread a freshly baked bread lots of variations no right or wrong answers as long as you got the casserip by the sounds of it and a good blend of other spices um and a strong body whether that be a meat a vegetable or a tofu i think you're onto something maybe there are some hardcore guyanese people that will be saying no what is this lady on about it's beef or we die and I will leave that in your capable hands and your opinions. Um, I'm just telling you what I researched. So I find it very, um, this is going to sound strange, but I get very worried about speaking about other people's cultural dishes because I just feel there's such a reverence and importance about food. Maybe because I take, you know, food quite seriously sometimes, um, especially at Christmas. It, it really is what it's all about for me personally. So I really am trying not to say anything that's wrong. Um, and it seems there aren't really too many right or wrong answers. But um, of all the episodes I've ever had backlash for, it's for food episodes. I get many people sending me messages telling me I'm wrong. And I don't like that at all. It's not nice. It's not fun. Um, and it's not true because, you know, it's a dish and it's going to vary chef to chef, person to person. Um, but now I'm talking about a food that's not within my own culture. I am trying to be very respectful to it. Um, so please don't come for me in the DMs, the comments, please. Okay, now why why pepper pot and why do I find it so fascinating? Because when I was searching for pepper pot, pepper pot soup came up. And I'm thinking, what is the difference between pepper pot and pepper pot soup? Um, and the pepper pot soup was coming from America. And I'm thinking, what are you guys making over there? And lo and behold, they have a similar thing. They have pepper pot soup in Philadelphia, of all places. I was expecting, like, deep south, you know, where slavery was really big and plantation cultures and systems are in place. But no, Philadelphia, I'm thinking, okay, that's very interesting. Philadelphia is where the founding fathers of America ugh, were, um, where the Liberty Belt is, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, all of that stuff happened in Philadelphia. Historically, it's a fascinating place. Um, 
and I've got really good food as well. Um, Philly cheesesteaks being one of them. Did not know about pepper pot soup being something in Philadelphia. And I was watching a video about it because, you know, as my way in, um, there's a food historian and his name is Ashbel McKelvin. And he was talking about the fact that essentially pepper pot soup, from his perspective as, as a food historian and chef, most food historians are chefs. I've noticed that. Is it too late for me to transition? Just asking for a friend, me. But, yeah, he was saying that wherever there's poor people, there is a version of pepper pot soup. He was saying the Irish have a version, people in West Africa have a version, um, in the Caribbean, and obviously in America, and African-Americans in particular, um, have this version of pepper pot soup. And his, the version he was making um, had beef, beef neck, um, a lot more vegetables were added, peppers, carrots, kind of giving more, like, a, a stew, and something I can imagine... Um, poorer people eating essentially of you know we've got these vegetables we've got this we're going to add this all into this stew and make this very warming dish um and I just found it so fascinating that you know this had traveled to a place like Philadelphia you know through the movement of people um and now it was still kind of passed on as a very traditional recipe there as well as in Ghana and it's not a Christmas recipe in Philadelphia it's a general day-to-day thing and I even found an image of these alleged pepper pot women who would sell pepper pot soup um, from on the streets um, kind of in a big cauldron type big massive pot um, and sell it to people on the street as like street food um, and the comparison was made with kind of the hustlers um, that kind of sell in the subway or like sell street food now um, and I just found it very interesting that pepper pot soup in Guyana is it now anyway a Christmas tradition something eaten in celebration um, but then in America it was seen as kind of food for the poor and obviously this has been gentrified because everything is gentrified these days let's be honest um, but yeah it, it was seen in in Philadelphia anyway as food uh, that was kind of a dish made easily and quite quickly for for poorer families potentially uh, maybe with less meat um, because meat we know is an expense that not all can or could afford um, so I found it quite interesting and how that food has traveled um, through i.e the indigenous people also through transatlantic slavery because the we know Guyana is the top of um, South America it would have seen the same kind of indigenous people that were passing through Venezuela going to places like Jamaica, Barbados um, and other Caribbean islands as well. Um, So it's interesting that, you know, these kind of techniques of preserving foods, um, which is what the cassaroot was originally used for. And then obviously as a as a flavour for for food and for dishes that are now, you know, still amongst us today. Um, And so I found all of this, this very, very, very interesting, um, the kind of global influence of it. Um, And I'm sure there are people in Britain that will be eating pepper pot on Christmas Day because of later movements and migrations from Guyana to Britain. Um, And people carry their traditions with them. I think food is one of the easiest things to hold as your culture, as long as you can get access to kind of the spices or the raw ingredients, which, you know, if you move over in big enough numbers, you tend to be able to. So I always find it really, really cool um, when food traditions are able to live on and, and sometimes even kind of grow and adapt and change and be shaped a little bit by 
the um the new climate or the new home of, of said said immigrant group but pepper pot is something that i am hoping to try one day maybe not on christmas because that is literally in two weeks time i can't believe it um i mean if you're listening to this any time after christmas then you will believe it i'm sure because christmas will have passed um but i just yeah wanted to to share some really cool food um history over the next few weeks and, and christmas traditions get away a little bit from the doom and gloom of, of british racism um i think we've seen that enough in in the actual public sphere word to the nationality bill which i think also is a top contender for an episode next week because that's a scary one that sees me in a different country for no apparent reason and that's very scary and not okay no <laughs> no britain no but that's for another day we're having a break from racism today so thank you so much for listening uh if you're listening to this over christmas then have a wonderful and a merry christmas and a happy holidays to any other holidays you might be celebrating or acknowledging this year but thank you so much for listening have a wonderful week goodbye thank you for listening to the history hotline if you've enjoyed this episode please tell a friend to tell a friend to continue the conversation about black history head over to our social media platforms at the history hotline on instagram and at the history hl on twitter